Um, but uh, next next Sunday, that's the time. Okay, so if you if you would help with that, that would be fantastic. Um, uh, I've heard that the principal and the staff at Beardsley is just over the moon excited about this. It's going to be a great opportunity for us just to touch lives. So uh, you get to play a part in that. If you want to help, if you're in a position to help financially, great. If not, no problem. Just be praying for it. Not too long ago, I did something relatively crazy. Um, I sat down, I opened this book, which is always dangerous, and I opened to the book of Acts, and I started reading the book of Acts, and um, there's some crazy stuff in there. I mean, some crazy stuff in there. Now, of course, I've read it before. I suppose a lot of you have read it before. Raise your hand if you've ever read the whole book of Acts, right? So a lot of us are familiar with the book of Acts. If you're not familiar with it, let me tell you what it is. The book of Acts begins in the New Testament right at the point where Jesus ascends back into heaven and then the church begins. So it's like the Genesis, the birthplace of the church. And I started reading about the birth of the church and I started watching what was going on in the book of Acts. And as I read and as I listened to the voice of the Lord through his word, I began to just see things and I thought, man, this is so stinking exciting. I get all stirred up every time I read the book of Acts and it doesn't matter how many times I've read it before. And so when I get all stirred up, you guys are in trouble. Because you're going to have to sit and listen to what's got me all stirred up. So rather than listen to me, let's listen to the Word of God, all right? Let's go to Acts chapter 1, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts. I want you to go right to Acts chapter 1. And as you're turning there, let me tell you, if you don't know this already, uh, well, let me just ask you, does anybody know who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Luke wrote the book of Acts, right? The same guy that wrote the gospel of Luke wrote the book of Acts. And so he writes the gospel of Luke where he tells us the whole story of Jesus' life and ministry right up to the crucifixion, the resurrection, the appearance to the disciples, the whole deal. And that's where it ends. And then he picks up, this is like the sequel. This is like, I don't know, what's the second Harry Potter book? That's what this is. Okay, this is the sequel to the book of Luke. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, I think he just, you know, defiled the church. Said Harry Potter right in the platform. Um, Luke part two, Acts chapter one. I first, uh, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Let me just stop there. It's going to take a while, right? (laughs) Let me just stop there. I just got, I just, I want you, you have to notice this, that Luke writes this whole gigantic gospel account, the book of Luke, tells us all about what Jesus did. He tells us about the healings, he tells us about the preaching, he tells us about the confrontation of the Pharisees, he tells us about the, uh, the you know, crucifixion, he tells us about the resurrection, tells us about all these people who got healed and even raised from the dead and all that Jesus did. He tells us all that stuff. And then he tells us at the beginning of part two of his account, he says, 
I wrote to you before about all that Jesus began to do. Now that's a little strange because he tells us right up to the end. I mean, Jesus is finished. The story is over. He finished his gospel account and he goes, oh, no, 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 no. That's just the beginning. There's actually more that Jesus did. There's more that Jesus is doing and there's more that Jesus is gonna do. And so the church is central to all of that. So he begins to tell us, verse two, until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering. By many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together... They were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, uh, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. Now, let me just stop there for a second, okay? I'm going to ask you to just imagine for a second that you were there, okay? I just want you to picture you're a part of this inner circle. You're, You're one of these 12, these disciples, these apostles, right? And, and his close associates. There's just a few people there and he's talking with them and he says, listen guys, I want to make sure you understand you are to go nowhere. You're to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, just like I promised. And then the Holy Spirit will guide you into all things. And one of the things he will guide you in, you will become my witnesses. He's saying, I'm passing the torch to you. The ministry that I began, you're going to continue, right? You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Samaria, in all Judea, all the way to the uttermost parts of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So stay here. And he's talking. And as he's talking, right? You're, You're there. Can you picture it? As he's talking to you, all of a sudden, in mid sentence, he begins to levitate. And then he just begins to float. And right up from the middle of our circle, Jesus just begins to float. And you take a step back, as one would, and you're watching this happen, and it just keeps going. 10 feet, 50 feet, 200 feet. He's getting smaller and smaller. And then he just goes right through a cloud and he's gone. Can you picture it? What are you doing 
at that moment. Right? We're all doing the same thing, right? We're staring up with our mouth hanging open and going, uh, thinking, I can't believe what I just saw. He just floated away. People are never going to believe this. I thought they weren't going to believe the resurrection. Now he just floats into the sky? Oh my gosh, and I got to witness it. And I, I got to be for 40 days with the resurrected Jesus and we ate together and he talked to us and he told us what to expect and what to believe and how he was going to work. It was an amazing 40 days. And before that, the empty tomb, the resurrection. I saw him dead and then I saw him alive. And, and the crucifixion, I remember him hanging on the cross, praying for the people who put him there. And remember what it was like before that? Remember when the people were still chanting his name? Remember when they were still cheering for him? Remember that lady? She is so sick. She'd been to every doctor and they'd only made her worse. And she crawled up to him, touched the hem of his garment, and she got healed. Remember that lady? And you remember that funeral procession? Remember we were going right into the city gates and the funeral procession was coming right out and we just had to stop in, in reverence and let them go by and Jesus didn't stop? Remember that? He walked up, puts his hand on the casket and the dude sat up. Do you remember that? Remember the way there was that crazy dude running around and he had a legion of demons and Jesus cast him into the pigs and the pigs. Remember when they went off the cliff? Remember that? And I think well, that was the same night, wasn't it? That he stood up in the boat and went, shh, and the storm stopped and the waves flattened out. Remember that? And as they stand there staring into, into the sky, that's what's going through their minds. And it's so funny, verse 11. Um, well, go back to verse 10. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. Who are these men? Angels, remember, they were the ones at the tomb, right? These two men in, in sparkling white clothing. And, and there they are. And they said, men of Galilee... Why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Here's what he's saying. Can you hear the clock ticking? He handed you the torch. He told you what to do. He went up into heaven and the clock started ticking. Because he's coming back one day. And he's coming back the same way you saw him leave. And the time is going. And every second that goes by is one second closer to the end. And he's handed you a torch. And you have that torch to carry. Why are you standing here looking into the sky? He's given you something to do. He's going to make you his church. Now go into Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. 
And if you go on reading the whole book of Acts, this, by the way, this series is not a study in the book of Acts. I'm not going to take you all the way through the book of Acts. But if you go on and keep reading, you're going to find out this was the beginning of an incredible adventure with God. Incredible. And it, and, and it had just as many miracles and it had just as much great teaching and, and it had resurrection. I mean, the whole deal takes place in the book of Acts after Jesus has filled them with the Holy Spirit and made them his church. It's a great read. There are kings and armies and persecution and tyranny and miracles and resurrection. No matter how much tribulation this young church faces, they still grow and they still honor God. No matter what they go through, they still keep loving people and preaching the message. No matter how hard it is or how much the government cracks down upon them or how much the Jews resent them and try to stomp them out, no matter what happens, uh, they still change the world. It's an incredible story. It's an incredible ride all the way. And every time I read about it, I stop and I wonder why today's church doesn't seem the same as the church we see in the book. Same Jesus. Same Great Commission. The same Holy Spirit. Same church. But then you ask yourself, are we really the same church? What does it even mean to be the church? Are we, what are we supposed to look like? What should we expect to be experiencing? What kind of impact should we expect to be having on the world around us? In a lot of ways, the church today doesn't look like the church in the book of Acts. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with us not looking exactly like the church in the book of Acts, okay? We have different traditions. We live in a different culture. We live in a different time. Um, there's a different structure to the church today. There are different approaches to ministry. And there's nothing at all wrong with any of that. But there are some things missing in today's church that seem to be world-changing components in the book of Acts. And they really shouldn't be missing. In the book of Acts, the church experienced God in all His power and His glory. Most of us today are content to learn about God and to admire Him from a distance. The church in the book of Acts was on God's mission together. We're mostly on our own individual missions without much thought about one another or, you know, what God wants to do with us together. They lived life together. We attend meetings together. They wove their lives together. They loved each other sacrificially. But in the American church today, and by the way, I'm going to be critical of the church and when I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about the church as we know it, the American church, Grace Fellowship, and the rest of the Christians. That's what I'm talking about, okay? Now, they absolutely sacrificed their lives for one another. They, they lived their lives together interdependently. 
And in the American church, most of us barely know each other's names. Today's church is really different than the church that God used to change the world 2,000 years ago. Now, I want you to listen closely because I'm going to say this in this introductory message. I'm going to be critical of the church today, but I do not want to be misunderstood. I am not going to bash the church. The church is the bride of Christ, my friends. I am the church. You are the church. We are the church. I I am not a church hater. I'm not here to bash the church. I'm not here to make everybody feel condemned and tell us we're messing it all up. I love the church with all my heart. But if we're honest, we have to admit that what we call church today is far less than God had in mind when he began a radical world-changing movement called the church 2,000 years ago. Today, for the most part, the church is an institution holding on to something. Then the church was a movement taking ground. And it's very, very different. And if we're honest, we'll have to admit that if we're part of the church, we're part of the problem. If you're old enough to remember when there used to be variety shows on television, remember like Ed Sullivan show and those kind of shows? Um, and one of the things I remember in those days, they would always have some sort of wacky act that kind of belonged in a circus, you know? And you remember those guys that would spin plates on sticks? You guys remember that? You've seen that, right? So you take a plate and you start spinning it and it stays spinning on this stick and you go over here, grab another plate and start spinning it and you grab another one here and pretty soon there's seven or eight plates and the guy is just running around and he's spinning plates and he's, when it gets wobbling and it's all and he spins it again and he gets it going and gets back over here and he spins again. You know what I'm talking about, right? That's our lives. That's the way we live, isn't it? I mean, that's our culture. There's a bunch of plates spinning, right? And, it, and depending on what stage of life you're in, your plates may look different than they used to. But, but we're all spinning plates. And we're running like crazy trying to keep our plates from falling. And, and we've got ourselves committed to this and that and the other thing. And God forbid that you have children, multiple children, because the law in America requires that every one of your children be involved in at least seven committed activities at all times, right? So if you're a mom or a dad, all you do is drive kids around, right? And, and oh my gosh, that plate's wobbling. I, be, I guess I better go buy some groceries. Oh my gosh, that plate's water, wobbling. I guess I better walk the dog. Oh my gosh, that plate's wobbling. I guess I better go meet with my kid's teacher. And we just run around and we're spinning plates. I'm sure most of us can relate to this. And then I come along and say, hey, we're going to talk about how the church is better together. And we're going to talk about the church, not like it's a program that you attend on Sunday mornings, but like it's our life. And you go, uh-oh, the plates. Because God's going to call us in his word, if we're a part of his church, to start living like we're part of his church. And I just want to warn you in advance, that may mean you have to take down some plates. Maybe some of us 
are overcommitted. Maybe some of us have traded in the things that God has called us to for some sort of lifestyle that requires something else of us. And maybe God's going to say to some of us, it's time to change. So I read the book of Acts and I get this vision of the church and then every now and then it's my job as your pastor to get up here and repaint the picture for you. Say, hey guys, remember who we are. Remember what we're called to. And that's what this new series is all about. Before I get too far, I want to be absolutely clear. clear. I've already said this. I love the church. But I want to be even more clear. I love this church. I I just love this church, you guys. (laughs) And, And if you don't believe me, I've been here 30 years. I won't leave. I just can't. I can't say goodbye. I love this church. I love the people in this church. I love the values of this church. I love the leaders in this church. I love the vision of this church. I love the way this church is is reaching into the community. Now, I have a bird's eye view, and I could tell you we're a million miles from being a perfect church. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying warts and all, I love this church. It is a blessing from God. And I, I know this sounds weird and you're just going to have to forgive me if, I, if I'm overstepping my bounds. Um, but I just want you to know, it's a blessing from God. If you're a part of this church, thank God for it. Because <laughs> a lot of my ministry is done outside of this church. I work with a lot of pastors and Christian leaders. I do a lot of consulting for other churches. And I'm here to tell you that I've had a bird's eye view to look and see what's going on in a lot of churches in America. And there is division. And we have no division here. There's infighting and we haven't had any infighting here. There's doctrinal confusion. We don't have doctrinal confusion here. There's a lack of godly leadership. We don't have a lack of godly leadership here. Do you understand? God has blessed us immensely. And it's not, it's not, there's no one to thank for it but God. It's a blessing. So I want to be absolutely clear because I'm going to be critical of us. I want to be clear about how much I love this church. I would not trade this congregation for any congregation in the world. But I would trade it for a more mature version of itself. I would gladly trade it for one that more accurately reflects a biblical vision of the church. See, when I think about who we are and I compare that to the church in the book of Acts, I just realize we have a long way to go. We're supposed to be more than a group of people who attend the same meetings. We're called by God to be a family, tied together by an unbreakable bond of love. Love for God, first and foremost. Love for each other. Love for lost people who haven't yet come to understand just how much Jesus loves them and what their life is supposed to be all about bound together by love, a family. In the American church, too many of us have become too comfortable with a vision of the church that doesn't look like the scripture. We have sort of a consumer mentality. The idea is we go to church. Church is an event that takes place, in our case, on Sunday mornings. 
And, and we show up on Sunday mornings and we enjoy the show and we are consumers of what we're being given and we consume it and then we go back to our real lives and spin some plates until we come back because the church plate is starting to wobble and we come on Sundays and spin that plate again and we tend to have a consumer's mentality. But that's not biblical. I want you to see this. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. So um, in your New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So go to Ephesians chapter 4. And I just want you to see this. Again, we're not going to study any of these passages today. I'm going to introduce some passages and we're going to come back to them. Okay? Ephesians chapter 4. And you guys are not listening nearly fast enough, so let me hurry. Ephesians 4 verse 11. He gave some as apostles. These are gifts God gave to the church. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the service, um, to do, excuse me, work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who was the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being uh, fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You see, too many Christians, maybe not you, but too many Christians in our culture today have the idea that to be a part of the church means to attend certain meetings, to, to sacrifice a little of my extra time to do some good deeds, to sacrifice a little of my extra money so that we can hire people who are trained to do the work of the ministry. And then we have a staff of people who are paid by that money that we all sacrifice so that they can be trained and do the work of the ministry. And yet Ephesians 4 says, no, 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 those church leaders that God has given to the church, they're not there to do the work of the ministry. They are there to build us up so we can do the work of the ministry. Because I don't care how good the church leaders are. I don't care how many of them there are. I don't care how great the pastor is, what a wonderful preacher, what a wonderful leader. I don't care. He can't do it on his own. In fact, it is impossible for the church to be the church if we think of ourselves as individuals. The Bible talks about the church the same way it talks about marriage. You know, Genesis chapter 2, it says that God created Eve out of Adam's rib and he brings her to him. And she says, uh, and he says, now this is now flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And the man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. Okay? And we go, that's fuzzy math. One plus one equals one. That's the church as well as the family. Look at this slide. I'm going to show you the math, right? In marriage, one plus one equals one. 
That's the Bible, okay? In the church, he talks about the church the same way. The difference is, instead of one plus one equaling one, it's one plus 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 one, and just keep counting until all the Christians are counted, and that equals one. And we scratch our head because that math doesn't work the way we were taught in school. I don't know, maybe the new math it does. <laughs> but I have no idea. Guys, we are one. And, and as much as you may think that it is an incredible blessing to be an individual Christian, you should know this. There's no such thing as an individual Christian. There's no such thing as an individual Christian. We can't do this by ourselves. You cannot. Jesus said, I came to give them life and that more abundantly, right? Part of the definition of abundant life is that it is always done together. It cannot be done alone. We have to link arms and we have to do this together. Now, let me show this to you in Romans chapter 12. I hope you brought your Bibles because you're going to be doing some flipping. Romans chapter 12. Again, I would like to teach this whole passage, but we don't have time. I just want to read it to you. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the portion of his faith, if service in his serving, and he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Now that's just the beginning of the picture. He, he says, I, I put you all in one body and, and we're going to unpack this later, but this, this metaphor, he uses it for the church over and over. He calls us a body. Now, the scripture says we are the body of Christ. Christ is the head and we are the body. And the body is made up of tons of different parts. You might be a liver or a kidney or a spleen or a toenail or whatever it is that you are, but you're a part of this body. And you may go, man, it stinks to be a toenail, literally. <laughs> stinks to be a toenail. You know what? Try to go without toenails. See how that goes for you. See, God has made us, uniquely designed us, shaped us, gifted us so that together, when we come together, we form the picture that he has in mind of his church. And we look like him when we're together. And that doesn't mean we're just together in the same space. It means our lives are linked together. 
And, and we see a very similar kind of passage in 1 Corinthians 12. Switch over to 1 Corinthians 12. If you're in Romans 12, it's just a few pages to the right. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Let's stop there for a second. For the common good, that should be underlined in your Bibles. For the common good, each one is gifted by the Holy Spirit for the common good. What that means is that whatever gifts the Lord has given you, He didn't give them to you. He gave them to the body through you. Does that make sense? Your gifts are for everyone else. So when you want to sit back and you want to just not be a part and you want to separate yourself out, you say, well, if I don't want to use my gifts, that's my business. No, it's not. The rest of us suffer when you're not here. The rest of us suffer when you're not involved. The rest of us suffer when you don't use your gifts. And forget about us suffering. And let's remember that the cause of Christ suffers when we don't all act like who God has called us to be and weave our lives together. Continue on down in verse 11, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 11. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many." Now, Paul does this a lot. He says, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, elsewhere, he says, whether men or women. And he, he gives us these lists of different you know, groupings of people. And he says, all of those things don't matter. Christ did everything for everybody, right? And I just want to take a second, even though I don't have a second, I just want to take a second right now to comment on something. Because, there, you know, there's some movement in our culture, and it's not being led by the church. And it's not all good, but it's not all bad either. There is some movement in our culture in which people of various groups that have been looked down upon, that have been shunned, that have been mistreated, are starting to stand up and say, hey, no more of this. We actually need to treat everyone with respect. If he was to, if he was to be writing to us today, he wouldn't say Jews or Greeks. He would say black, white, brown, or whatever skin tone. He, he would say every tribe and every nation... He would say men and women. He would say young and old. He would say rich and poor. And he would say Christ died for all of us. And then he puts us all together in one church like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle that fit perfectly together so that when we're all together with all our different colors, all our different preferences, all our different backgrounds, our different accents and our different hometowns, our different political parties, our different ways of thinking, our different genders, our different ages, when he puts us all together, we are a beautiful picture of him. Guys, racism is evil in every form. Misogyny is evil in every form. Um, prejudice is evil in every form. We have to be willing to say that what brings us together as Christians is far more important than anything that could divide us.
And until we, the church, the people of God, begin to be the loud voices in these movements, until we begin to lead these calls for justice without compromising truth, then they're going to go astray. And it's up to us to be the voice of Christ. And he says, we're all one in him. That's not my notes. That's extra, no charge. (laughs) But here's what I got to say when I think of all this. Again, you may be glad as an individual to be a Christian, but there is no such thing as an individual Christian. We are better together. And as we dig into this, and we start talking about what the church really can be, it's going to seem radical. And some of you are going to have a tendency to go, yeah, it's a little much for me. I don't know if I really, if I, if I really want to be that Christian. Um, let me just say that the world around us is crumbling without Christ. And until the church wakes up and begins to be the church, that trend will never change. I know you have a lot of plates spinning. So do I. You might have to let some of them fall. You might have to make some sacrifices. You might have to decide that you're going to devote yourself to the cause of Christ in ways you never have before. And that's going to mean you don't have as much time to do whatever. But if we're going to be the church and we're going to love God, love people, and change the world, we're not going to do it in our spare time and with our spare change. See, the church of Jesus is losing influence in our society at a record pace. Too many people have seen a watered-down version of the church, and they've rejected it. They've heard a watered-down version of the gospel, and they've rejected it. They, They think it's silly, frankly. But look what happened in the early church. Go to Acts 2, and we're almost done. Acts chapter 2. We started in Acts 1. We're just going to go one chapter ahead at the end of Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. Speaking of this same group that was standing, gazing into the sky, right? And now the Holy Spirit has come. And 3,000 more were swept into the church in the day of Pentecost, right? And now Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. And this is the part I want you to see. All that unity, right? But look, verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were doing all this. They were devoted to these things, devoting themselves to these things. To the apostles' teaching, that's the word of God. To prayer, to the breaking of bread. They were taking their meals together and they were celebrating the Lord's Supper together, right? And to fellowship, actually living their lives together. They were moving into one another's houses like they were together. And it says... 
Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe because God was doing amazing things. And guess what happened? The world saw it and they had high esteem with the world. The people in their neighborhood stood back and went, now that's different. The people in the community stood back and said, those people are different. And, and they were finding favor with all the people. The church had the respect of all the people. Sounds just like America, doesn't it? No. Not exactly. They had the respect of all the people. And as a result, the Lord was adding to their number every single day more new believers. We're having a baptism in a couple weeks. We've been talking about it for a month now, right? Get prepared for this baptism. On May the 20th, there's going to be, I don't know, maybe half a dozen people getting baptized. We're excited. We're going to celebrate. We're going to have a party. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be off the hook. Okay? (laughs) But think about this. We do this once a quarter, and it's a big deal. Three, four, five, six people who have come to Christ getting baptized is a big deal. Every single day they had baptism. Every day. Because the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Guys, to be a part of the church is the highest calling you will ever have in your life. And in John chapter 13, Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples. Now let me just tell you this. They know we're Christians. They know. They can tell from our t-shirts. They can tell from our bumper stickers. They can tell by the meetings that we attend. They can tell by the rules that we follow. They can tell by the things that we protest. They can tell by our online presence. They could tell, by the way, so many of us make so many of them feel so judged so much of the time. They know we're Christians. But Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples, my followers, my carbon copies. How will they know? He said, by your love for one another. Love is the mark. They will know we are his disciples by our love. It's our collective love for God, our collective love for one another, our collective love for the lost that is the sure sign that we are the people of God. I watch the way some of you are living, and I'm just proud to know you. There are people in this church that I just sit back and go, Lord, help me become more like this person. I watch the way that you guys give and the way that you sacrifice. I watch the way that some of you invest in others expecting nothing in return. I watch the way that some of you reorient and reschedule your lives so that 
that Christ is at the center of everything and everything else has to be found a way to fit or it just isn't part of your life. I watch the way some of you just, you just give of your time, your money, your energy. You just give, 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 serve, serve, serve. The way you're using your gifts, the way you're making sacrifices for one another, the way you reach out to meet the needs of people. I watch it. That's why I said I'm so thrilled to be a part of this church. I watch you guys. And in so many cases, I am astonished. I see it all the time, the people in this church. But when I read the description of the biblical church, I realize we have a long way to go. So what I hope to do in this new series is hold up a biblical picture of the church to call us to become who God always envisioned us to be. Because I cannot do this thing alone. You can't do it alone. We are called by God to be one body, completely interdependent, bearing one another's burdens, spurring one another on to love and good deeds, walking arm in arm forward in the Great Commission so that Jesus Christ will change the world through us in our lifetime. It is a high calling, it is a great adventure. It is the call of God on each and every one of our lives. No, scratch that. It is the call of God on all of our lives corporately. He's called us to be His representation in this world. We are better together. By the grace of God, may we become who He envisions us to be. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and pray. Lord, as we think about the way that you have blessed us, calling us to be your children, and in so doing, adopting us into your family, we look around, we see brothers and sisters, many of whom are new to us, and we don't have relationships yet some of whom we're already leaning on and counting on and trusting in and serving. But we're a part of this family, and you've made it so, and we want to thank you. But at the same time, Father, we realize that as your family, we have a long way to go in reflecting you. Help us, God. Help us to reject the temptation to make it about all the plates that we have spinning, and let us make it all about you. And through a church like that, together, God, as we link arms, change the world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, guys. God bless you. If you don't know somebody around here, introduce yourself. Build a friendship.